I'm going to go to several places in Scripture today. The first would be Genesis chapter 8. So if you want to kind of just find your place to the 8th chapter of the book of Genesis, I'll refer to a lot of Scriptures today that won't be on your screens. Genesis 8 is the first one that will be. Um, but I want us to take a journey. I'm going to move rather quickly today uh, because I have a lot of ground to cover in a, in a really short time to get there. So if you're just joining us, we're in our fourth week of a series entitled Unstuck. We started out by examining the lives of biblical characters in the early part of the year. Characters in the Bible who found themselves stuck. Sometimes it was a result of their own poor choices. Sometimes it was a result of the evil that was aimed at them by other people. Sometimes they were stuck simply as a result of the sovereign hand of God choosing to use their adversity to shape them for His purpose and their God-given destiny. As we've said repetitively, the pit in Joseph's life had a purpose. And many times when you find yourself stuck, it's because God has a purpose in your life. His sovereign plan is being worked out in your life. We spent the last couple of weeks discussing some practical ways to get unstuck from our pits and predicaments or from our spiritual ruts and routines. Through the life of Elijah, we learned that fasting, when combined with prayer, will humble our hearts and reposition us to hear the voice of God. Last week, we learned a story. We learned that our story is actually His story. And one of the most powerful weapons in our spiritual arsenal is to testify. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, Revelation 12 says. To tell the story of God's amazing grace in our lives is what it means to testify. We learned from Scripture through the life of Joshua that he used the testimony when the nation of Israel was stuck in order to get across the Jordan River. And then we also saw a real-time, real-life personal testimony of the grace of God through the beautiful change that is taking place in Doug and Rebecca's life and in their family. They truly are trophies of the transformational power and the grace of God. But today, I want us to look at a more practical tool that can help us get unstuck or that will position us to be pried from our pit by the hand of God. Today's message is a simple challenge. If you want to get out of the pit, if you want delivered, you want set free, you want unstuck, you're going to have to build an altar. For some, that may be very confusing because you're not sure what building an altar has to do with getting out of your spiritual rut or coming to a place of spiritual breakthrough. Maybe we don't understand the place or the purpose of the altar in our lives like we have at some other points in the past. But all week long, as I prayed about this service today, the Lord kept taking me back to the image of bringing the sacrifice to the altar. First of all, I want to say this. This sermon is not a sermon arguing for or against an actual physical piece of furniture called an altar being in the front of the church. Some mistakenly believe that if a church has an actual wooden bench called an altar in the front, of the sanctuary that it is a praying church moving in the right direction. The same people could wrongly believe that a church without the actual wooden furniture is prayerless and liberal, and I've heard those very statements made. Through the years, I've been in a number of churches that have the altars in the front of their buildings, but they rarely use them. The decor in their sanctuary was no more a guarantee that they would pray then the treadmill in your bedroom being used to hang clothes on is a guarantee that you will exercise. 
People have made idols out of altars the same way Old Testament Israel made idols out of the Ark of the Covenant. The Israelites made the mistake when they tried to carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them as a good luck charm and they found themselves defeated and the Ark itself was stolen from them. The ark is not what brought them victory, although they thought it was. The presence of God is what brought them victory. The ark was merely a box of wood overlaid with gold until God decided to dwell there with His presence. The people of God misplaced their affection and made an idol out of a piece of furniture and neglected the very presence of God that brought them victory. The presence of God didn't come upon the ark because the ark was special. The ark became special when the presence of God decided to dwell there. There is a big difference. If you get the two confused, you'll wind up making an idol out of furniture. When I grew up, most churches I went into had wooden benches in the front and people would come and kneel over them to pray or to respond at the end of the sermon and it was called the invitation or the altar call. My life has been transformed kneeling over those wooden benches or those wooden altars. The altar has been such a foundational component of my spiritual upbringing that even though we don't have the actual wood benches in the front of our sanctuary because of space issues, you will still hear me refer to this area as an altar area or you will still hear me refer to the invitation I give at the end of the sermon as an altar call. The irreplaceable element in the church or our lives is not the actual furniture. The irreplaceable element is the presence of God and an encounter with God. When I said a moment ago, if you want to get unstuck, build an altar, I wasn't necessarily suggesting that you get a hammer and a a nail or go get some wood. It might be better said, if you want to get unstuck, make an altar. Because you can make an altar of prayer wherever you are, whether there's a wooden kneeling bench or not. You can make an altar in your car driving down the road. You can make an altar in your home. You can make an altar in your workplace. You can make an altar of prayer wherever you find yourself. Throughout the Scripture, the altar is synonymous with prayer. It is synonymous with the place that man encountered God. The altar marked the place where man met God face to face. The altar is not only synonymous with prayer, the altar is also synonymous with sacrifice and death. It was in the Old Testament altar that the sacrifices were taken to be offered to God as an act of worship. If you see an altar in Scripture, you know that something is about to die. If we want to get unstuck, we need to make an altar. An altar that is synonymous with prayer. An altar that is synonymous with sacrifice. An altar that is synonymous with self-denial and death. The very first altar that you find in the Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 8. We know that all throughout history, pagan worship has utilized altars since the earliest time. 433 times the word altar is mentioned in the Old Testament. The first mention of building an altar is in Genesis 8. And this is an altar of, of, of gratitude and an altar of promise. Genesis 8, chapter 8, or chapter 8, verse 18. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives and all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds and everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. 
Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. God has saved Noah's family from the flood. The altar is built as an offering of gratitude to the Lord. He was expressing gratitude to the Lord for providing a means of salvation from destruction. And God responded in that moment of Noah praying at the altar and gave Noah a promise through the rainbow, a covenant, that he would never destroy creation by flood again. Since that time, Men and women have encountered God in special ways at altar experiences. They have built altars, built houses of worship, and set up simple uh, stones or things that would commemorate a place where they met with God. The earliest altars were basically piles of stones and sometimes even simply mounds of dirt. Sometimes the altar builder was just said to have called upon the Lord. And sometimes the altar was a place where blood from a bull or a goat or an animal was used to cover their sin. The first Old Testament altar that God actually commanded was the Mosaic altar in the tabernacle and it was specifically made of natural uncut stones so that no man could glory over that altar with his workmanship and make an idol of it. God was careful that no man would be able to make an idol out of an altar because the issue was the encounter. The issue was the intercession. The issue was the presence of God, not the piece of furniture. The practice of building an altar or the practice of making a place or setting aside a time for an encounter with God played such a prominent role in Abraham's life that I want to go back and look at the altars of Abraham's life in just a moment. But I want you to see how Abraham's use of the altar impacted the entire following that came after him, generations after him in the Old Testament. Isaac was his son and he must have learned from his father the importance of the altar. If you read the story of Isaac in Genesis 26, when God confirms the covenant He made with Abraham to Isaac, Isaac built an altar and worshipped God because the Lord had confirmed the covenant. And then you move further a generation down, Jacob. Jacob, whose life was known as deceiver. That was what his name meant. And he literally deceived Isaac to get Esau's blessing. Jacob, even the deceiver, had altars encountered with God. And he had his life so impacted at an altar experience with God that at the altar God changed his name from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means the prince of God. And I think every one of us in this room who is a child of God has been to the same altar that Jacob went to and we have had our nature called deceiver removed from us and we have been implanted with the nature of the Son of God. Anybody been to an altar like that? Mine was November the 18th of 1990 and I found my way to an altar where the sin nature in me was replaced. Now, I still live with that sin nature, but the blood of Jesus Christ is flowing inside me. I became a child of God. Jacob met God at an altar and his name was changed from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means the prince of God. And every one of us has had our name changed by the grace of God. Through the life of Moses, the altar became the centerpiece of Hebrew worship. The place of spiritual renewal, a place of prayer, praise, sacrifice, and commitments. They built altars to commemorate great victories and important passages like when Jordan was crossed in the life of Joshua. 
Gideon defied the prophets of Baal. And he went and tore down the pagan altar of Baal. But before you read about that great exploit, you find out in Judges 6 that before he ever went, Gideon ever went to tear down the pagan altar, he built an altar of peace is what he called it, and he worshipped his God. And that same tradition followed in the great and godly man Samuel who served Israel as a prophet, a priest, and a judge. He also was a man of the altar. In 1 Samuel 7, 15, it says Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where it was his home. And there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar to the Lord there. Each of the places mentioned in that passage of Scripture, Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, were places where the patriarchs prior to Samuel had had encounters with God through prayer. They were stuck, they were in predicaments, and they met God at an altar, and they built an altar in those places to commemorate that encounter with God. And Samuel journeyed back to those places as he led the nation of Israel, but he made sure to build an altar of encounter in his own hometown where he had met God. But it was left to King David, the spiritual, to raise the intensity of the spiritual level of the altar in preparation for the glory of God filling the temple, where the power of God's presence filled the temple so great the priests could not even stand to perform their duties. Prior to the temple being built, David had disobeyed God. He had relied on human resources. He had trusted in his own help in his own army instead of the presence of God. And in an act of repentance, he needed to find an altar of repentance. The story is recorded in 1 Chronicles 21, where David needed to repent and find a threshing floor, an altar to worship God in repentance. And he goes to a farmer named Ornan. And Ornan offers to give the threshing floor, the place of the altar to David. And David makes this statement, No, I'm going to buy the threshing floor to build an altar because how can I offer to the Lord something that cost me nothing? Listen, friend, you cannot encounter the Lord at an altar without costing you something. There is no easy way to tarry in prayer. There is no easy way to revival. There is no easy way to a harvest of souls. There is no quick microwave way to a breakthrough when we find ourselves stuck. How can we offer to the Lord something that costs us nothing? And that sight that cost David that time of repentance where he met with God and encountered God literally became the spot where Solomon's temple was built and later the glory of the house of God, the glory of the presence of God filled that house. I think you get the point. The altar in the lives of the Old Testament child of God was a place of encounter, a place of prayer, a place of sacrifice, and a place of the presence of God. I want us to pause for a moment and go back to that Old Testament character Abraham and look at the altars of Abraham. Because the altar had such a profound impact in the life of Abraham and when he found himself bound or stuck or in a routine or even in sin, it was the altar that pried Abraham out of the pit. In Genesis 12, God appeared to Abraham and gave him the covenant. 
It was there that God told Abraham of a promised land. And he told Abraham that his descendants would number the stars in the sky. He promised him he would lead a nation. He promised him a holy land for that nation. And he promised him that through his seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Genesis 12 is where God promised the Messiah through Abraham's line. It was in Genesis 12 that Abraham encountered God and he built an altar when that covenant was established. This was at the place called Shechem, was the name of the city. And Shechem was located between two mountains. One mountain is Mount Ebal, which means barrenness. And the other mountain is Mount Gerizim, which means fruitful. The altar that he built when God established the covenant was in between the Mount of Barrenness and the Mount of Fruitfulness. Do you find yourself today stuck between the Mount of Barrenness and the Mount of Fruitfulness? Do you find yourself caught between the promise and the miracle? What you need is to find a place to encounter God, to give Him thanks for the promise. Because the only thing that will get you through the between time, the only thing that will help you survive in Shechem, between Mount Ebal, barrenness, and, and, and the other mountain of fruitfulness, Mount Garrison of fruitfulness, the only thing that will get you through in the in-between is the promise that God has made you, the covenant that God has made you. If God has given a promise on the inside of you that you have not seen come to fruition and you may get discouraged between the two mountains, you need to take a trip to an altar. You need to have an encounter with God. You need to meet Him face to face where He can reaffirm His promise with you again. I believe it is significant that Abraham journeyed from there, from Shechem, on where he later again built an altar. This time he built an altar between Bethel and Ai. Bethel means the house of God and Ai means the place of ruins. And in between again the house of God and Ai, he worshipped God at an altar. Worshipping in the house of God is one means that will keep you from spiritual ruin. Even when you have to wonder, even when you're away from community at work, when you wander from the faith community because life takes you down that road, you need to build an altar of community with God in your workplace, in your school, in your family because it is that presence of God that you know is the house of God that will keep you from going to Ai, the place of ruin. It was to this altar that Abraham returned. If you remember his story, he had a disastrous trip to Egypt. In this story, he told lies and deceived the Pharaoh about his wife. He told half-truths and it almost cost him the life of his wife, his own life, as judgment came upon him. The great father of the faithful became a liar. So he returned after Egypt to this very same altar to renew the former commitment he had made to God. Who of us in this room has never needed to renew our commitment and turn our wandering hearts back to God? Some of us this morning find ourselves in a very dangerous place. Like Abraham, we're treading somewhere between the house of God and the place of ruin. Isn't it time we bring our hearts back to a place of encounter with God? Isn't it time we run back into His arms of grace? If the prodigal is here today, may the word of life 
life here touch your spirit it is time to return from the dangerous place between the house of God and the place of ruin it is time to return from Egypt and Ai and have an encounter with the grace of God again and when Lot and Abraham parted ways making a complete separation from all that Abraham encountered in his failure in Egypt and his worldly nephew Lot God renewed His covenant with Abraham in Genesis 13. So Abraham began to journey throughout Canaan and Hebron. The city of Hebron means alliance. And he built an altar in the highest place in that alliance in Hebron. In the highest place in Palestine. It was a time and a place where Abraham put down a stake in Hebron and said, I am here where God always intended me to be and there will be no more wandering from this heart. No more lying. I'm not going to change my faith when I change my surroundings. I'm not going to compromise my standard when the crowd changes around me like chameleons. It was an altar of commitment. And some of us this morning need to make an altar of commitment. Some of us whose faith and commitment is shaped by whatever crowd we find ourselves running with or whatever mood we decide to wake up in. We let our faith be determined by whatever day of the week it is. If it's Sunday, we're on fire from God. And if it's it's Monday, it's okay to compromise our faith. We need to come back to the altar at Hebron and make a commitment to God, draw a line in the sand and say our hearts will wonder no more. But of all the altars that Abraham built, the one that must have been the hardest for him was the one he constructed at Moriah. Here he was told to offer the son, the only son he had, the son of promise. The son that he had waited for a hundred years nearly. God had finally blessed him and now God asked for that son. You know the story. How Abraham proceeded to the point of tying Isaac to the altar and raising his hand before he saw a ram caught in the thicket. The altar for Abraham had to represent contradiction. Because here is the promise that God had given him. And yet now God is asking. And it had to raise questions in his heart. It had to raise contradiction in his heart. It had to be the greatest test of faith that Abraham had ever known. And that's what this altar is. It was an altar from God to test Abraham's loyalty. Abraham, are you more in love with the creation than you are the Creator? Has my gift in your life replaced me? Have you fallen in love with Isaac more than you've fallen in love with me? Is there an inordinate love in your heart? An unhealthy love for Isaac? For God, this altar. For Abraham, it was an altar of contradiction. But for, uh, for, for God, it was an altar of testing. It was an altar to refine Abraham's faith. It was an altar. It, at that altar, Isaac is not the one that died. At that altar, part of Abraham is what died. When Abraham walked off of that mountain, he was still a patriarch. He still had his son Isaac. He still owned thousands upon thousands of heads of cattle and sheep and one of the wealthiest men of the ancient times. But while he owned all of those with title, he possessed none of those because all of what he possessed died that day because he understood God owns it all. God 
owns Isaac. God owns my life. God owns my past. God owns my present. God owns my future. Abraham died on that altar that day because the altar of testing is an altar of death. It is an altar of self-denial. It is an altar of loss. I said earlier, any time you see an altar, you know that something is going to die during this fast. The Holy Spirit has been calling me to the altar because there are things in Brian that need to die. Would you listen to the voice of the Spirit as He whispers to you today? He may be calling you to an altar of sacrifice where you can decrease and God, Lord Jesus Christ, can increase. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love Him. James says, there are going to be altars of testing in your life just like there were in Abraham's life. But the one who perseveres, who stands the test, will receive the crown of life. So when we're tested, when we face trials, let us hurry to the altar where we can encounter God, where we can strengthen our faith, where our faith will be renewed. It was in that experience that God received the name Jehovah Jireh. Because when Isaac asked his father, Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham said, the Lord will provide. Or he said, our God is Jehovah Jireh. I will promise you you if you will run in the season of testing to an altar like Abraham and maybe some of you needs to die in the process you will discover that God is Jehovah Jireh he is the God of provision he is the God who comes through in his time under the law the highest and holiest day of the year was the day of atonement it was in that day the people would bring their sacrifices to cover their sins to the temple of God. One time a year. You know, you and I, if we mess up, we have the privilege under the new covenant, we can go to God at any time and ask for mercy. We can go to His throne that we might obtain mercy because because of the way that Jesus made for us into the holy place. But in the Old Testament, they only went there one time a year and only one man could go and all of the people brought their sacrifices to the high priest who was only allowed to go to the high place one time a year. And the priest had two goats on the Day of Atonement and he sacrificed one goat on the mercy seat and that blood was then poured on the mercy seat to cover the sins of the people and roll their sins back for one more year. The other goat was carried outside the camp And the the priest would lay his hands upon that goat, known as the scapegoat. It's where we get the terminology in our culture when somebody takes the fall for something as the scapegoat. Because in the Old Testament, the priest would lay his hands on the goat's head and symbolically transfer the sins of the nation of Israel onto the scapegoat. And they would send the scapegoat out into the wilderness. The good news is... That when Jesus Christ lay upon the cross and shed His blood, He became the ultimate sacrifice fulfilling both of the needs on the Day of Atonement. 
He was the scapegoat because God laid His hands upon His Son and transferred the sins of all people to the man Christ Jesus upon the cross. But the good news is He was not only the scapegoat, He was the sacrificial Lamb whose blood, according to the book of Hebrews, was poured upon the holy place in heaven and that blood was an acceptable sacrifice in the eyes of God for all of humanity. Here's the good news. He fulfilled all of the rules of sacrifice at the altar and Jesus has now become our living sacrifice no longer do we need an altar to get the forgiveness of sins he has become the living sacrifice he has become the living altar and he has become our access to God that is the reason anywhere you can call upon the name of Jesus you can build an altar you can build an altar looking for lettuce in the grocery store you can build an altar on a rocket ship into Mars you can build an altar in an airplane you can build an altar in a coal mine you can build an altar in a classroom you can build an altar in your home you can build an altar in the house of God but if we will build an altar don't make an idol out of the furniture make a place to encounter the presence of God enter your prayer closet it is the presence of God that will transform your life and I know I need an encounter with the presence of God our church altar area is more than a convenient kneeling place Like Noah, we turn to a place like this as an act of gratitude. Or Abraham, we mark important milestones on our spiritual journey of spiritual encounters at an altar area like this. Perhaps we first accepted Christ at an altar like this. Or maybe we were married at an altar like this. Or we dedicated our children at an altar like this. Maybe we were baptized in the Holy Spirit or called into ministry at an altar like this. Or maybe we've had sorrowful moments where we said goodbyes to our loved ones at an altar like this. Or for Moses, it was a place where the covenant was renewed. Or for Joshua, it was a visible reminder of where we have been and what God has done in our life. The altar is a place of self-denial. The altar is a place of death. The altar is a place of surrender. I envisioned all week long dragging my burdens to the altar and pulling that heavy sack of burdens up on the altar and leaving it for God. There have been moments when I have been in prayer in those old churches that had the wooden benches up front where I literally have put myself on the altar and I've laid there making myself the sacrifice before God to use me as He pleases. The issue is not the furniture. The issue is a sacred place to encounter the presence of God. And maybe there's some of us in this room today that need to make an altar of gratitude. Maybe there's some of us today between the Mount of Barrenness and the Mount of Fruitfulness and we need to come to the altar and renew a promise that we have in our heart about our family's salvation or a financial miracle or a healing or a call of ministry. We need to remind ourselves at an altar of the promise that God has given us or maybe we find ourselves somewhere trepidatiously between the house of God and the land of ruin and we're teetering on the fence between one or the other may the Holy Spirit prick our hearts and we like Abraham or like Moses and Abraham return from Egypt and drive a stake in the ground and say my heart will wonder no more my heart will turn no more I want to encounter God at an altar of commitment 
And me more than anything this morning, we encounter Jesus because He is our living sacrifice and He is our living altar. My challenge to you, we have 14 days left in this fasting season. 14 days to make an altar. It has been my challenge to make an altar every day. And it seems like every day I make an altar, it's in a different place. Sometimes it's in my living room at home. Sometimes it's in my office. A couple of times this week it has been around the front of this church. But I want you to be challenged in the next 14 days to make room for God in your life. You want to get unstuck, make make an altar. An altar of repentance. An altar of gratitude. An altar of promise. An altar of renewal. An altar of death and sacrifice and self-denial. Make an altar. Unseat the things of this world and Egypt from your heart and re-encounter the presence of God. In just a moment, as they always do, our prayer team, is going to make themselves available in our altar area. Some of us this morning may not need someone to pray with us at all. We may just want to come and kneel at the altar area and rediscover what it means to encounter the presence of God. Some of us may need someone to pray with us at an altar of promise, an altar of repentance. Some of us between the house of God and the land of ruin who need to come back to God, renew our faith in God. We have wondered in our commitment and our spiritual lives have grown cold. We may very well need someone to agree with us in prayer that the presence of God would restore our lives, renew our hearts, and change us. There are people that are going to be available here. To pray with you, I believe miracles happen at altars. My life has been changed when I have met God at an altar in the house of worship. I know I can meet Him anywhere, but there's just something special where two or three are gathered together in His house and we come to a place we have set aside and sanctified as holy unto the Lord, a place where we meet Him. And this morning, we're going to respond to this word. We're going to set aside this place as holy unto the Lord. And if you need a touch from God, you need to return to God with your wondering heart. You need to renew your commitment to God. You need a miracle in your life. Whatever the altar is that you need in your life, establish it today. And I believe you can meet Him here in a very profound way. Father, I pray this morning in the powerful, matchless name of Jesus. I pray that you will help our hearts have a renewed understanding for the value of the presence of God. Throughout history, places have been important. Seemingless, insignificant pieces of furniture have become holy and sanctified in the presence of God. I pray today, Lord, that you would renew your spirit that you would renew your power, that you would establish your kingdom in the hearts of people today. Lord, we set aside a place this morning to respond to your word. There are people under the sound of my voice whose hearts may have strayed. Just like Abraham, would you bring them back? There may have been people whose hearts are discouraged today, caught between the in-between, the promise and the miracle, the no-man's land between the mountain of barrenness and the mountain of fruitfulness. Would you renew the promise as they respond to an altar today? Those that have forgotten what you have said, would you renew that promise in their hearts today? 
God, those of us whose faith and commitment to Christ is like a chameleon. It changes based on surroundings. That our relationship with you is a relationship of convenience. Would you let us build an altar of commitment and draw a line in the sand and say our hearts will wander no more. Help us encounter you, Jesus. Our living altar. Our living sacrifice. Father, when Paul said in Romans 12 that we were to offer our lives as living sacrifices, he was telling us we are to put ourselves on the altar because the altar is to be a place of denial and surrender and selflessness. Lord, would you bring some of us to the altar today that need to have less of us and more of you? shape the future of these lives of this congregation because we don't forget the altar we don't forget what it means to have an encounter with the presence and the power of God would you stand with me all over this place prayer team would you make yourselves available today